Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. I am your host, Greg. This year, we are doing 1973, and tonight we will be talking about the mean streets. No, not where we grew up, but instead the movie, 1973's Mean Streets. Joining me is returning champion, Ryan. Ryan, how are you feeling tonight about the prospects of perhaps winning the Mean Street show? I'm uh, I'm uh, feeling pretty confident after last week's beatdown. Um, I just, you know, I want to give Mike a chance. I know that he was really sad last week, mm-hmm. um, cried mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, maybe this time he'll hopefully he wasn't so sad that, like, he didn't show up. Unfortunately, or Mike was so sad. Are you serious? That he didn't show up. He did uh, leave us. A little audio clip explaining himself uh, about why he couldn't be here. Uh, so can we go to the clip, please? I'm fat, so I burp and fart. Okay, yeah. That so apparently him, yeah. because Mike is fat, he he burps and he farts, and he couldn't be here. Luckily, uh, somebody who does care about movies and does care about podcasting and does care about competitions, because that's, that's what this is, Ryan, right? It's a game show. It's a game show. I mean, it's it, look, is it a game? Yes. Yes. Is it a show? Yes. Of course. Well... Ryan. That's the sound of you getting a point because you understand that this is a game show. Joining us from Debut Buddies, a man who cares about movies and cares about showing up to things, Nate. How you doing, Nate? I am great. I am excited to be neither pooping nor farting right now. Yes, um, nice. I think that I think that it's important. We all take it for granted when yes. we're not doing that. Yes. And there will come a time when the uh, dogs of war will be let loose upon us or from inside us. <laughs> Well, that's a very dark beginning to what I'm sure will be a, a, a super bright and effervescent show. Nate, before we get started, tell us a little bit about your show, Debut Buddies. Uh, Debut Buddies is a bi-weekly podcast about firsts. So every two weeks we talk about a new first, like the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, the first episode of the X-Files, we talk about the first Paddington sequel, Paddington 2, on a recent <laughs> episode. Uh, we, we stretch the premise however we like, and it fits really well. Let's start with the first Paddington movie you should watch, Paddington 2. <laughs> Both excellent movies, by the way. You, you, you should do them at some point if, yeah. if you get around to th- those years. But but two is just simply amazing. Two takes it's a it, gem. Yeah, it's two great. takes it to places we we've never been before. You guys excited for the director of Paddington Two's next movie? What is it? It's called Wonka. Oh, oh. this is the Timothy Chalamet. Yes, it is. Yeah. And this is about he's like a young Wonka, and he realizes that if he brings his chocolate factory up into prominence, that he's going to also create a like a spatial jihad. That wipes out everybody in the universe. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. The okay, basis, very good. Uh, it's the basis of the new video game Lies of P. I think, which also <laughs> stars Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Man, there. Good thing there's like four actors nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, well, Margot Robbie can't be Wonka, huh? Who's it gonna be? <laughs> Gosh, it's gotta be a young Wonka, so it can't be Ryan Gosling. Also, bite your fucking tongue, bro. Margot Robbie can be Wonka that's or true. anything else she wants. That's true. That's true. very true. I I recently saw Barbie, and that was kind of the whole. The, po- the whole point of that yeah. was that she could be whatever she wants. What we are going to do tonight, though, we are constrained by, because we have to talk about Mean Streets from 1973. Nate, what is your history with the Mean Streets? Um, I saw Mean Streets 
several years ago for a film club that I've been a part of since uh, 2007 or 8. Um, so we watch a movie every week and talk about it. And this came up on the, like, hey, this is a Scorsese movie that we should see because surely it's meaningful and uh, revelatory in, in his oeuvre. And uh, you watch a movie every week, you talk about a movie every week, but you don't record this and then post it onto the internet. Ryan, are you understanding this? I don't, if a uh, film conversation doesn't get recorded yeah. in the forest, yeah. did it really ever happen? Right. Uh, that, that A very weird choice to not record. It feels like leaving content <laughs> right there on the floor, right? Ryan's going to have to Ryan. give yeah. Ryan a point there. <laughs> Ryan... What is your history? And again, I'm this. I'm talking about the movie. I don't want to hear your history on the Mean Streets. I want to hear your history with the 1973 production Mean Streets. Uh, sure, Greg. Wait, wait, hold on. Okay, we are recording right now, so I do yes. feel like <laughs> I can talk now. Um, this movie for me, this is a biggie. Uh, I have seen this movie over thousand or two thousand times um, because I grew up as a. You know, I was born right at that time where uh -huh. I came of age. My uh, I got my pubes. Okay. Uh, during the Tarantino era. Nice. Well-deserved. And uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, like, you're going back, and uh, I'm watching Pulp Fiction and Train Spotting and all these movies where I want to find out how they came to be, uh -huh. and this movie, Mean Streets, keeps coming up. And so I owned it, bought it on DVD, watched the ever-living shit out of it. Okay, so you have an extensive yes. history with Mean Streets. Uh, I had only watched this movie uh, as like part of the run-up prep to this season, uh, and so I don't have like much of a history with it besides having just just seen it recently. But I have to say, uh, when I did watch it again for the show, I thought it improved a lot in my understanding of it. Um, maybe an uneven Scorsese, and we're gonna get into that in just a bit. But what's our overall impression of the movie? Because Nate, I I could almost feel peeking out from behind what you were saying. Um, maybe you are underwhelmed with this movie. What would you say? I think, first and foremost, this movie is the the diametric opposite to Barbie in almost every way. <laughs> very true, right? very true. Uh, I, think this is a, I think this is a very strong movie. I think it's extremely rough, which, I mean, it's an early, it's an early film in, in his catalog, so it makes sense. I think what's, in, what's interesting about it is the ways that it, layers popular music that it montages some things that it's doing interesting sort of pseudo documentary style approaches to uh what is effectively like a anti-mob movie it's like it's 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 an organized crime movie but it's disorganized crime it's more like disorganized crime right nate yeah, yeah. <laughs> more like uh, dis disorganized crime, Greg. Oh, yeah, Ryan. That's very good. Ryan. Uh, Ryan, what, what, generally, what are your general impressions of this movie? Because you, on the other hand, I felt peeking out from behind what you said, a lot of veneration and deep respect for this movie. Yeah, I uh, sat down and looked at our uh, list of movies that we've done for the show. Because I was like, is, is this a top five movie mm -hmm. that we've done, according to me and me alone? And turns out we've done a lot of great movies. Yes, yeah. <laughs> hard, would, hard to crack the top five. I would solidly put it in the top 20, but uh, four, st four stars out of four for me. I think that this is rough, sure, but perfect in its roughness. Um, it's, and I don't want to do that thing of, like, the jazz singer is a four-star movie because it's the first talkie. Yeah. It, that's, it's still a shitty movie. It, it, this movie should be heralded for its amount of influence, but it is a great movie besides that. 
um, for its perfections and imperfections. Um, I can't wait to dive in because I think it's so complex. I do think it takes um, a second to get on its wavelength. Yes. Like a lot of Hangout movies do. You know, I think that as much as this movie is like Goodfellas, in a lot of ways, it's closer to Badfellas, right? Kind of, or like, honestly, like mediocre fellas. Like, uh, hey, fellas, <laughs> maybe just fellas. This movie's Mid-fellas. just fellas. Mid-fellas. To use the parlance of the kids. Um, American Thanks. Graffiti or Dazed and Confused or, you know, like if you're waiting for that propulsive plot to come along, that's yeah. just never going to happen. Yeah. You know? And I think sometimes those kind of movies um, take a rewatch, you know? I was going to say like, uh, like the movie Diner. It's mm-hmm. kind of oh, like yeah. that. It Got has it. a certain like, this is a group of guys hanging out, getting into their stuff. I wonder. Kind of I wonder if this type of movie. This is like it almost feels like proto podcast in a way. Not to not to be too praise uh, praising of a, a podcast, but they almost they almost hit that same note of the parasocial relationship, don't they? Like it's like it's got a friend group kind of established, and it's like to watch it is like hanging out. For sure, yeah, and if we get to. We should have a segment tonight. I'm sure we'll get there of who's Nate in this movie, who's Greg, who's Ryan. You know, mm. all three of us are Johnny Boy, of <laughs> yeah. course. Three Johnny yeah. Boys. Yeah. Just blowing I've been vandalizing up e- mailboxes all day. So. Oh, shit. The ratings of this podcast just dropped to zero. <laughs> <laughs> the Johnny Boy Network. But, Ryan, I want to key in on something you said, which is that you can't wait to start talking about this movie in specific detail. And so that's what we're going to do right after what one missing panelist called The Quickest of Breaks. Mean Streets is principally about three characters. We have Michael, the wannabe gangster who is trying to will himself to fit into a world of crime that he doesn't seem ready for just yet, what with getting himself easily scammed and perpetually disrespected. Then there's Johnny Boy, who we first see blowing up a mailbox for absolutely no reason. We quickly learn this is the least offensive act of of the entire film, and probably the most sensible. Last, there's Charlie, sweet, sweet Chaz, the sensitive boy who tries to hold the world together even though it is shattered, contradictory in the extreme, and destined to blow apart in a paroxysm of violence. Though not Scorsese's first movie, Mean Streets is the first Scorsese movie. What about Mean Streets feels like a superstar working out his swing in the minors? And what about the film feels like Scorsese is already an all-star right out of the gate? Ryan. Hi, Mr. Baseball. Talking baseball. We're getting, getting close to the playoff times, everybody. As we're talking some baseball. Uh, I mean, I think that there's so many things here that you can see all the way up until Kundun, <laughs> where everything fell apart. The wheels came off for Scorsese, and we never heard from him again. Um, <laughs> but why don't we start with um, what Nate already brought up, which is, was there popular music in movies before 1973? I don't know. Frankly, I don't want to know, because <laughs> this, is, this feels like what kicked it off, and it's blaring, and despite the fact that I hate having to turn the volume up and down on my TV while I watch movies. I loved it here when it's just like uh, the Ronettes are blaring from my TV screen. Can, can I just say, as a point of order, and listeners of the 1973 season, you will know that this is true. We have complained nonstop about the soundtracks for these movies. The way you did a soundtrack in 1973 was you hired like the most sleepy-sounding recording artist to write the sappiest song that incorporates the title of your movie and kind of gives the broad strokes of what <laughs> happens, and then you submit that for an Oscar, and it's just totally random who wins. Specifically, Almost- you're talking about the way we were. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, and okay. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, th- there are no end to examples. We talked about uh, a movie 
just a, just a couple weeks ago where we were like, the only thing wrong with this movie is the soundtrack. And now I'm drawing a complete... Oh, it's Serpico. Right. Remember the fucking mm. Serpico soundtrack? It was like annoying mandolin like turned up to 11. And the way we were is like Barbara Streisand being, I want an Oscar. And every, her handler's like, all right, but we're going to have to make a whole movie around that song. You know that, right? <laughs> just like, do no, it. Just do, just do it. it. Just, just do it already. So the soundtrack is a definite plus. And I feel like he's at least credited with like inventing putting good music in movies right nate oh yeah i think it's uh, i think now on one hand it's kind of critic it's it's a little lazy and we'll see this we'll see this influence hit later movies where it just becomes shorthand for you should care about this scene because you like this song that's over <laughs> this terribly written movie but i think especially in mean streets it, it works because it really does like one it pins it in, a, in an era like we're yes. talking rolling stones we're talking runettes we're talking about and they're all and they're all big feeling songs. They're all like cartoonish in a way in which they are bold and vivid. Like yeah. these are songs about bold, vivid feelings. And they're always soundtracking scenes about bold, vivid feelings. Whether yes. they make sense or seem reasonable or responsible doesn't really matter because this is a movie about young men uh, basically going through super late puberty and trying to figure <laughs> out how to be adult men. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like they're going through a second puberty, right? It's like they're going through yeah. puberty too. Like they entered into puberty. this weird, <laughs> this weird young man ship, and now they're trying to push through to adults, and none of them knows quite how to do it. But like, yeah, only only Harvey Keitel seems to be like actually cognizant of the fact that that's happening because of his philosophical and religious sort of dalliances, and then the fact that he's like maintaining an adult relationship while also being a dad to everybody. But like. <laughs> Or it's it's I think it's is it Tony is the bar owner? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh Tony for every time for every like, you know, bar that he owns, uh is a big cat that he bought in the back. So Dude, did I did yeah. I did I kind of in my intro, did I kind of give short shrift to Tony? I feel like the movie centers three people and then throughout most of the movie you see there's this fourth guy and I feel like they want you to know, you know, Tony's there and because he has the bar but he's not really one of them. I think that's how most friendships work, right? Yeah, that there's just one guy that's not quite <laughs> like. Well, and me and Greg's, it's his name is Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's the Tony's the essential straight man to the movie, because everybody else is big, and, yeah. and somebody somebody has to be like, oh, I'm I'm the anchor in the storm, right? Like the bar is the anchor in the storm. It's right. The, it's the only place that they can dock safely. To I mean, honestly, the maritime metaphor. The bar is more important to the movie than Tony is, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's their central perk. If we can update the references <laughs> a little bit, uh, there's a part where Johnny Boy is like, "Fucking close the bar already!" And Tony's like, "No, like this isn't the clubhouse, bro. Yeah. Like, this is a running establishment." Getting back to Scorsese, um, I think that the music is key. I think that uh, when. In the 90s, when Danny Boyle and Tarantino and all of these filmmakers uh, are just remaking Mean Streets over and over and over again, um, a part of that is that the soundtrack is incredibly important to them, right? Yeah. And, I mean, the soundtracks in the 90s were big sellers on CD. I, I feel like they, they rediscovered what Scorsese discovered in this movie, that like the, it had become popular and then people fell away from it again, and they were just like, let's just do that same move again. The other thing I think um, that is quintessential Scorsese, and he isn't, as time goes on, once we get into, like, Raging Bull, he gets even more daring with the camera. Like, he'll put the camera inside 
a flashbulb as photographers are taking pictures. Mm. He'll film uh, uh, boxing wow. matches like nobody has ever had before or will again. We're not talking about that level, but whether it's it, because of inventiveness or necessity, the way he moves this camera is, again, I don't think we've ever seen it like this. And it, like it's, it's ju- it electrifies the entire movie. Now, it does kind of fuck him because I don't think the movie can live up to the first 10 minutes. The first 10 minutes of this movie is just like it's breathtaking because yeah. it, the camera never stops. Right. Then the movie becomes a little bit more stayed, right? It becomes a little bit quieter. But then the camera keeps moving. But, like, once they start getting drunk... Oh, Guy Ritchie was another person I should include on that list because mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. When, when Guy Ritchie's characters get drunk, it's Mean Streets, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Harvey, Harvey Keitel with that camera strapped to the front of him as he's dancing through... Like, that's... Scorsese is becoming Scorsese in front of our eyes. But I, I, I loved uh, how mobile the camera is. And I, I read that a big part of it, why so much of his hand cam is because they just couldn't afford yeah, the, the, the track that you laid yeah. down on the ground. Okay. And so I love that he did that. I feel like most of the times very organic. You, you, you feel alive in the scenes. But there are times where I'm like, dude, you have to stop moving the mm-hmm. fucking camera around. You're just It's just four dudes talking, and you're just like going up suddenly over their shoulder and then kind of floating around back. And so I, that's where I feel like he is still learning a thing or two. It's like, okay, you came up with this great idea to work within a limitation, which is we don't have the track, so we're just going to have to hand cam a lot of this. But you have to still be judicious in the way you use that because – Anytime I notice the camera moving, I think you have kind of screwed up just a little bit. I should notice the energy of the scene, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't be like, man, we are really floating around this room, you know? Yeah, I just think that, not to keep going back to the 90s directors, but I think that if you watch the first 10 minutes of Res Dogs, where, or Reservoir Dogs, not Reservation Dogs, <laughs> uh, Reservoir Dogs, the, the camera spinning around <laughs> in that diner, and then them walking out in slow motion. We're meta movie making at this point. We yeah. are. We're forcefully oh. showing yeah. you how much camera movement there is, and it's because of what Scorsese did to these d- filmmakers as kids. Another area that I, I just, I'm not saying I don't like this, but it left me with a question mark: is the choice of, especially early in the movie, it's more prominent, the voiceover. Um, now, first of all, the 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 voiceover is like. Uh, uh, Charlie is like praying and it's it feels like Charlie is thinking but the voice is very obviously not Harvey Keitel's voice and if you you it, if you are in 2023 it's very obviously Martin Scorsese's voice I don't know who at the time would be like that's Martin Scorsese's voice but I'm not sure who that is just in the theater just Martin Scorsese yeah just <laughs> what if he stood up and, and that's up. Martin Scorsese's mom get him <laughs> um but it's a strong choice to have voiceover and not even have it be your main character. It's just the first line, though. Is that all in the? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which, but 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 the first line is the you don't make up for your sins in church. In church, you make up for them with what you do in the streets and in your right. home, right? Okay, so it's kind of a big important line. For my first question is: Is that as a movie? maker putting your thumb a little bit too much on the scale and then is it having a different voice than any of the characters of the movie do you think those are good choices nate i think i think it is the choice of a young filmmaker who doesn't fully trust that they made the statement in the film yes that they've made right <laughs> I, I think i think it's the same thing as uh throwing a, a crawl before 
like Johnny Mnemonic or uh, The Running Man, where uh-huh. it's just like uh, the studio's like uh, people audiences aren't gonna understand what this is. We need seven pages of written text before they enter this world because they won't get it. And yeah, I think I think what it really speaks to is that Scorsese's like, hey, I'm making this complex movie about trying to comprehend how to be good in a place where it's impossible to be good because of the circumstances. Will anybody get that because these characters are all kind of rough? Or do I need to really underline it to start so that they go, oh, I'm supposed to empathize with these guys who are all varying levels of bad i mean they're they're kind of cute bad in retrospect yeah. i mean compared to the the level of like anti-hero we get now um but you know i think he's i think he's hedging his bets we don't get i feel like we don't get a lot of um the like young really bad at being gangsters gangsters part of what i like about this movie is they have so much to learn about how to do it either how to focus the violence inside themselves or how just to like not get ripped off themselves in the course of ripping off other people. And so I really like that angle. It's almost like he took the level that he was a filmmaker and he made a film about gangsters that were kind of at that level too, or maybe just a a little bit lower than that, you know, just still trying to put it together, still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. I I have always wondered if, you know, the, the, in the opening, um, Michael's bought all these things that he thinks are lenses, right? And they're actually and the adapters. Guy's like, they're adapters. You can't, th- these aren't lenses. These aren't, these are worthless to me. And there's a <laughs> part of me that wonders, is that like, is that an inside joke? Like, did Martin Scorsese at some point, like, oh, grab an adapter instead of a lens? And of he was course. like, oh, this is exactly what I mean, to, to, what, to your point. Like, I love that. I love that. <laughs> he didn't but... understand cameras, really. So yeah. he made a character who didn't understand them to make amends for that sin. I love that you make that Thanks. connection because then it does, but then it makes it seem like it's obvious. Yeah. Like if the, if the thing he doesn't understand is about lenses and about adapters, then that connection between like the young Scorsese and his crew and these young gangsters seems pretty clear. Uh, so ultimately we, we are okay with the voiceover. I mean, what, what would you say, right? Do you feel like it was a little heavy handed to be like, Hey guys, before my movie starts, this is kind of what I'm trying to do here. I, I, th- I think that I agree with Nate in that it is heavy-handed. It's a dicey choice. If this was George Lucas, would he go and take it out in Mean Streets 2.0 <laughs> and replace it with like Ryan. a CGI priest <laughs> that like does a little, <laughs> I don't know, uh, uh, play some jizz music? Yeah, you seduce some hail marys. Ryan. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I do I, watching it this week. I kept going through and saying, like, does the message of the movie match up with that? You know, and like we'll get into this throughout the show. But does how much does Harvey Keitel or Charlie put into what he's getting from church and the streets? And is he a hypocrite? And I think he is. But like, how hypocritical is he? How much does is he really getting out of it? And that's what I think is cool about the that message up front is. Let's give it to them here, and let's play with it throughout the movie. Yeah. And then with Kaitel's actual voiceover throughout, it's so quick. It's never like, oh, I remember I always wanted to be a gangster. And, like, <laughs> well, I was born in 1949 and blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's just a couple of words each time. And it's, yeah. re- it's never that distracting. And doesn't it kind of drop away? Mm-hmm. I feel like it only happens in the beginning of the movie, and then it's like, you're established in this world. 
you don't need to hear from the character anymore. Yeah, it's almost as if when he's talking to Jesus in the church and he says, hey, you know, I wish I could just make amends a different way because they keep giving me all these, you know, Hail Marys to do or whatever. And I, I could do it better myself. I can figure <laughs> out my own way. And I feel like that's kind of the moment when we get disconnected from that conversation almost entirely, including also, the voiceover. He's a, a uh, protection collector, right? Like, that's his main job? Yeah. Does he ever put any of that money in the church basket? No, you know, honestly... Wouldn't that help a little bit? They don't show that, right? <laughs> they show him putting his hand in the candles, and the candles is usually lighting a candle is a way that you can pay, but he's, like, very pointedly not. So, yeah, I guess not. They're so... I get the sense they're so broke. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're like, they're on, the, they're on the come up, and they don't really have anything yet. Him running that restaurant, potentially, is going to be, like, the first probably big actual break he gets. Uh, so they don't, they don't have anything just yet. But we do have something, gentlemen. We have a Rushmore coming up. And it's the Hot Boys of 1973 on the other side of this break. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is a very special mountain devoted to the band Rush. Um, America wanted more of that band. And so we put them up on a big stone mountain. uh, And now we're ready to, we're done with Rush. That time is over. We're ready to move on to something completely new. One thing we have not talked about uh, in 73, quite as much we talked about in 75, is uh, part of the like gritty, grimy aesthetic of the 70s movies is that not everybody in them is super attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't watch a movie and then you just see model after model after model. A lot of times it's just like the kind of weird folks you'd, you'd, you'd pass on the subway. Uh, and so we, we might... I think, honestly, if we line up all the dudes in Mean Streets and the three of us, the three of us would make the top ten. Honestly, yeah, and like it, the, it makes yeah. the <laughs> it, it makes the movie a lot more watchable, or like more real. You know, everybody just looks like some schmo, um, and or even like has a weird physical trait that makes them look kind of cool. Like the guy that owns the pool hall or whatever, who has like one of the most glorious guts maybe in the history of film. That thing is like uh, it's just a force. Um, <laughs> Maybe he'll be on the Hot Boy Mountain in 1973. I, it is a, a season tradition that we get to log onto our computers and Google um, sexy men of whatever year we're doing, hot men of, uh, and we always, get, we always get wonderful, wonderful results. Wait, Nate, did you seriously use Google? Oh, no. I mean, I, I, look, I looked up uh, context for a couple of them make sure that i knew they were active google in 73 google of course being the name of our thinking hill okay yeah I where d- we go <laughs> i went back through my uh treasure chest of teen beat magazine <laughs> oh there you go tiger yeah. bop magazine <laughs> nate you are you are the guest here let's go first to you who belongs on the mountain of 1973's hot boys and nate in case you don't remember because it's been a while since you've been on the show if you're if the first one out doesn't make the mountain immediately it's one of the most embarrassing things that can happen to yes. you in your entire yeah. life yeah yeah this is this is why I'm, I'm i'm having a hard time with between my my first two picks uh, i'm gonna go I'm, I'm gonna dig a little deep though okay I'm gonna dig a little deep uh in 1973 there's a little tv show about police officers who are on the island state of hawaii called oh. hawaii 50 okay and uh the actor jack lord who has recently, as recently as 10 years ago, been in a James Bond movie, (laughs) is the lead of this extremely popular television program that's in its fourth season, and it's crushing in the ratings. Jack 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jack Lord. Put Jack Lord up there. Look up Jack Lord in uh, I, the big sunglasses from Doctor No because I am, that is the hottest boy you ever did see. I am bringing uh, my phone to the Thinking Hill. All right, so I, Jack Lord. Uh, first of all, uh, killer name. Yeah. Um, also has one of those faces where w- when he was 20, he looks 55. Um, just sun-baked leather face. Uh-huh. Died in Honolulu, which is commitment to the bit that I have to respect. Uh, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to put Jack Lord on the maybe. I, I figured. But, I figured. But we get it out of the way now. Not in a humiliating way, but, <laughs> but in like a, a maybe way. Ryan, big opening now that Nate has humiliated himself. What would you like to do? Also, do you remember when Nate, at the very beginning of this episode, <laughs> said that he would not fart and shit his pants? He and, did. and look what happened. Yeah, but then he shit the bed. He didn't say anything about shit the bed, Ryan. It's true. Uh, it's true. Cats um, for mattress. When I was sitting on Google Hill and I was uh, doing my think research, um, I, uh, my list was skewing older. Yeah. Like, and I didn't know, I couldn't remember if our hot boys were like for teeny boppers or oldie boopers i have to say here's what i here's what i think if if my opinion matters sure i Uh, think it does the most i think that this is a time where older gentlemen were a lot more prized Mm. than the the young spring chickens and a part of that is because like the beard was in the hair suits the the mustache i think you had to be a little bit hairy uh and so there's like it all skewed i think to a a little bit of an older gentleman well i think i'm gonna go right down the middle just because I'm not sure where Greg's head is at. Well, actually, I am now because yeah, he, he just fucking explained yeah, it. Yeah, laid it out clearly. Um, <laughs> but I think ladies back then, they, they maybe they were into like a uh, black Mustang. Maybe they were into a gray Chevy. But right now, I'm into a red Ford. Robert Redford. Oh, Redford. Robert okay. Redford, yeah. Wow. If you say his name slightly different, <laughs> it is very hard to know what you mean. Yeah, uh, Robbie Reds is right up there. Uh, yeah, I was doing my thinking, uh, and this image of him just just uh, came to me. And also, this is his year, uh-huh. right? I mean, this this is the year that he probably should have won uh, Best Actor. He uh, just owned and like looked so stylish in The Sting. I think Paul Newman, who is a great nominee for this mountain, yeah, old blue eyes himself. Um, just you you watching this thing and he's like he's handed him the torch in this movie yeah he's like you know what you're the handsome guy now take it and, and go with it take it and go with it all right so that's one ryan for ryan nate we have one spot taken what do you got for us well let's uh let's her suit up real quick <laughs> uh this this particular man has three movies that come out in 1973 the movies are seamus white lightning and the man who loved cat dancing None of them are good movies, but he is still super sexy guy. Everybody wants to see him bare naked, laying in front of a fireplace. It's Burt Reynolds. Man, Burt Reynolds. Wow. Uh, yeah, I I don't want to be this guy, but after I say this, there's no way I, I can't be. This is a time where men were men, you know? <laughs> Where guys were just guys, and they had a big hairy chest, and they just opened up their shirt and just let it fly. And maybe put a huge big gold medallion right in the middle of that thatch of, of chest hair. Uh, not good men. You know, not like, th- not, not people we would, like, leave our kids with. <laughs> but men. Real manly men. Man, I, my wife comes home from her hard day at yes. work when I've just been sitting around the house all day. Uh-huh. And Eating bonbons, Ryan. She sees me naked. 
with my three test hairs just playing switch and she's like oh daddy give it to me she she comes home and i'm like i have a, all my hairy chest and i'm laying in front of the fireplace she's uh-huh. like you gross yeah get off that get off the bearskin rug i don't want to see that i don't want to see that the centerfold where you've just got your arm tastefully in front of your dong i don't want to see that man this is good so far so far we're, we're doing it yeah. we're really doing it ryan what do you got we got two spots taken two spots remaining look Redford, he's a handsome man in any decade. Yes. But I have to go. I have to follow Nate's trail. I'm picking somebody who is only handsome at this time. Yes. And then a fucking uggo at any other time. Um, no offense to Bert or my pick. But uh, I think I'm going to quote the great. I think this is the person. Chris Thorburn on Twitter. Who uh, tweeted once. Um, hey, uh, I took that real sexy picture of Elliot Gould and Grover just like you asked me to. <laughs> Uh, from around this year moving forward for a span of i want to say five years hollywood was just like elliot gould is the hottest man Uh, you you talked earlier in the podcast about like well there's only four actors timothy chalamet is one of them elliot gould was the timothy chalamet of this time yes put him in everything curly means gold curly boys were king the the thick hair Were you born too late, Greg? everything. I was born just a little, just a scotch too late, Ryan. Uh, yeah, Ryan. It wouldn't, and also it wouldn't be this podcast, and it wouldn't be 1973, the year that like basically the long goodbye, kind of like was like the the thing that pushed us into definitely doing 73. If we didn't recognize that Gould is gold, and we're going with Gould. All right, so now we have three people up on the mountain. So, Nate, we're going to go to kind of like lightning round time. All right. So, uh, we're going to go alternate. Give me one dude that you want to see up here. I want to talk about someone who, not not a act, just an actor specifically, but he's at the height of his powers at this time. Uh, he abandons his character, Ziggy Stardust, in 1973. Oh, it's David Bowie. Oh, wow. Now, of course, I have to... Because I said speed around, just put him over here on the maybe pile. And I did say this was a time where men were men. But also some men weren't so much, and that was also really cool. <laughs> so a complicated time that you can't really just pin down. Uh, bad teeth. So. Yeah, well, okay, but honestly, sometimes bad teeth like is like the last piece of a very hot puzzle. It's weird how that happens, mm-hmm. but there's not many things you can have fucked up and still be really hot. But your teeth, if you're super hot and then you've got fucked up teeth, it's almost like... It adds to it. Two words. Look at Tom Cruise. Look at Tom Cruise. <laughs> his, he's his one mo- in the middle of his head. He's just got one big tooth. <laughs> and I heard it goes all the way up to the top of his head. <laughs> that's why nobody can x-ray me. Two words, because that's how names work. Bruce Lee. Oh, shit. Oh, Ooh, I'm so... Very nice. I'm so fucked. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was on the Thinking Hill, I realized, you know, I don't know that Bruce Lee gets enough credit. As a hottie McCotterson? Okay, first of all, just ripped to absolute shit. Like, we're talking 0% yeah. body fat. Also, swag on 100,000 million. This guy is just... And I think that made a lot of people hate him, especially because, like, it was too early to be that swaggy mm-hmm. as an Asian-American. And so I think people were like, no, this can't be. But now, looking back, like, the epitome of cool... Because, uh, I my mean... Maybes, that, yeah. My sweet maybes. He could absolutely <laughs> kick your ass unless you were... Brad Pitt from one Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. Yeah. 
man. Quentin. What? Yeah, he was he was his generation's Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on, buddy? All right, Nate, you got another one for us? Uh this another musician, he releases his best and possibly one of the best R&B soul albums of all time, Intervisions, it's Stevie Wonder. 1973. Oh, God, and he looks so good back then. What a handsome guy. Oh, I messed myself up. This is going to be so hard. <laughs> Ryan? Um, yeah, I, uh, just to go a little bit younger, a little bit more teeny bop, uh, we go, whoa, up, up your nose with the rubber hose. Oh, Travolta? Welcome back, Carter. Oh, my God. Welcome back, you know. Oh, my God. Welcome back to Cindy. Okay. Yeah, it is. That was Travolta, Greg. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the, when the impersonation is absolutely perfect, <laughs> there, there's nothing I can do. So, uh, y- David Bowie, I was sure was going to be it, but kick out one of your definites. I can't, Ryan. That's not how oh, it works. Sorry. I didn't. Espe- especially <laughs> when they're Robbie Redford, Burt Reynolds, and Elliot Gould. There's like, some handsome gentlemen back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I promised myself that Bruce Lee if proposed, would make it on to this mountain. And, Ryan, that is my special Ryan. bonus one. And so Ryan. you're going to get the three additional Ryan. points for that. Thank you so much for remembering that. So up there on the mountain, I feel good about this. Usually they are more boyish than mm-hmm. this, but that's just not what 73 provided us with. We got the men of 73. If you were born in 73, you were born a man. <laughs> Full head of hair, <laughs> and you were already losing it. Well, talking about all these hot boys, maybe it's time to start talking about Johnny Boy when we come back. Gentlemen, why does Charlie latch on to a malcontent like Johnny Boy? Keeping him around despite the fact that he totally sucks. Is it because they grew up together? Because they like each other so much? Or does he get something else out of the relationship, Brian? Oh, man. I think that there's a lot going on here. I think that... Um, there is this brotherly love that they have. You know, I do think that they, they grew up together on these streets, and I don't think Charlie sees Johnny Boy in exactly the same way that everybody else does. Okay. I think that everyone sees them... See, I, I think everybody mostly sees Johnny Boy as um, mostly like Michael does, and even how Tony does, how t- even his cousin does. Of I just, mean, like, there's he's a disaster. There's something about the very first image we have of him is for no reason blowing up a mailbox. Mm. Like, that, That I think, does such a good job of showing yeah. the audience exactly who he is. But I like your point, Ryan, of Ryan. the idea that Charlie probably doesn't see him that way. Nate, do you agree with that, that Charlie probably has a different view of Johnny Boy? I, 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 think, it's, I think it's two things. I think Charlie sees Johnny Boy as ultimately, like, a fixer-upper. Yeah. He sees, he's, he's clinging to potential. Thanks. But I think that the underlying problem is he's clinging to that potential because he's afraid to leave the devil he knows. Yeah. Because when he's when we have the the affair scene and he's talking to what I can't remember her name. Teresa. Uh, Teresa. Yeah. When he's talking to Teresa, Johnny, like, Johnny's she, cousin that he dates uh, secretly. Yeah. And and she's gonna move. She's getting an apartment in a better part of town. She's gonna leave this situation. Yeah. And she keeps saying like, "You can leave this situation too." And he's like, "No, I can't." And I think part of the reason is he's using Johnny Boy as an anchor. Like, he wants to hold on to something, and he needs to feel needed somewhere. Yeah. He does, he's, not, he's, he's not ready to, like, become a butterfly. <laughs> he wants to keep crawling around, and the best caterpillar he knows is running around, <laughs> picking up girls in the village, 
and uh, doing stupid shit all the time. But, like, I didn't grow up in such a way. This is something that I learned growing up watching TV, right? And TV, like, <laughs> growing up watching the TV and the movies that I did, like, I thought it was weird that I wasn't Italian or Catholic yeah. or black or Jewish. Like, all of the movies and TV I watched, it was all about, like, this community and, like, trying to, like, trying to keep part of it with you. You know, I just grew up with nothing. Like, I was, I, I grew up with nothing. And so... And the, you, you're, like... You're Irish American, but I'm not though. But, like, and also, well, like that doesn't exist as much in Southern California, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. there's the not... further you move west, yeah, the less it exists. Exactly. Right? I, grew, like, I grew up in Colorado. It doesn't exist. Yeah, like, there's not an Italian American. Well, I mean, there is. There's like pockets of those port. Like, there's parts of cities that are like that, but it's different. The East Coast has like clung on to these original like European distinctions in a way that just like kind of filtered into nothingness by the time it gets to us. And so we're just kind of like bland white people. Exactly. So there's, there's, there is no culture to me at all except for the TV that I've watched. And that <laughs> is what I have like, right. you know, hung all my hats on. And so like Harvey Keitel is, has like a literal form of that, that if he lets go, his community is gone if he moves away or whatever. Now, Scorsese, because, you know, no – movie character can contain all the complexities of one man mm -hmm. it must be two movie characters yeah. has <laughs> split himself into two where right. there is the mature version of Scorsese that is ready to become a person in the world especially because Scorsese has moved to the west coast at this point yeah. most of this movie was shot in Hollywood and then there's the old school Scorsese and the people that he grew up with that are fucking nuts you know that like you can't be anymore you can't be around anymore or they will you can't be that person anymore or that they will like sink your life drag you under yeah but if you lose them then you lose yourself and so that's like the whole battle that Kaitel is going through it's not about whether or not you're going to make your payments or pay the vig or whatever this week it's about you know this battle that's going on inside of him and i got the sense also that charlie part of his like central issue is that he wants to hold all the world together and he wants the world to be one unified thing that is redeemable. And maybe this is a little bit where religion comes into it. But he is being presented with a world where that's not the case. Where you can't love Johnny Boy and then also love Michael. And then also love Teresa. And then also love your awesome, super cool gangster uncle. Um, that it, those things don't work. And you can't also be a poet. Well, and you, you can't also be a good Catholic. And then also be... A gangster on the come up. You can't do it all on your terms, and that's what he wants. Because he, just watching him with Teresa, Teresa, he'll be like, "Teresa, I love you so much," and then Teresa will be like, "You know what, Charlie, I love you too." Shut the fuck up! Yeah. I'll fucking, <laughs> how could you say that to me? It's like, well, you just, what do you want, dude? Is is this too? Uh, I minored in film school to be like, the, Teresa is the cousin of Johnny Boy, and they picked an actress that looks. A sometimes cousins don't look that much alike, but they picked an actress that looks exactly like Robert De Niro. And then she's also, as the uncle says, like kind of, she's epileptic, which doesn't mean much to us. I don't think like in terms of like that that's any sort of like mark against her in a way, but the, yeah. uh, the his Charlie's uncle is like, no, that's also a form of madness that she has. And so in a way she's kind of another broken thing. Is there, is it too simple to say that like, he has this sexual relationship with Teresa as like a weird kind of stand-in for some maybe unresolved issues he has with Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think it's I think that's I think all of this I mean, I think everybody in this movie is kind of this is like Scorsese's inside out. 
everybody <laughs> is everybody is just a facet of him Thanks. mixed together right and and that's what he's dealing with right it, you're dealing with the 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 sort of yin yang masculine feminine side of chaos yeah with johnny boy and Teresa. you're dealing with this sort of like uh hard lining super ego with charlie and then you have just kind of these supporting players that are different kinds of like ranges of growth that could happen right yeah i could i could go into into business back home in the neighborhood and i could do the criminal stuff or i can or i can run off and break off on my own or you know or i could just be the anchor you know it's it's yeah i also wondered if it wasn't um you know there is such a heavy emphasis on religion in this movie uh and i also wondered if it wasn't like sort of that like he literally wants to save Johnny Boy, and he feels like he can, and so he is like sort of martyring himself. And I noticed that like he always, <laughs> he's got a very cool move in a fight, which is to hold up your left hand and go, "I got a bad hand." Uh, and then isn't that exactly where he gets shot in the end? He gets mm -hmm. shot in the hand, uh, and even that wound is like part of the stigmata. The stigmata, yeah, right. And yeah. so like, yep. is he is he sacrificing himself? Is he martyring himself to try to save Johnny Boy? Because Johnny Boy is the least of us. Like as annoying as he is, as frustrating as he is, he is not loved of anyone. He is absolutely the like forgotten child, and to love him and to save him would be to save and love the least of us. Yeah, and like I think also too that's part of Harpy Ky or Charlie's frustration is that oh well, I I I've matured quicker than all these mooks. I am uh, <laughs> I'm a lot better than them in almost every way. I'm the I'm, I'm the closest to adulthood. The least I can do is save him and it's not working. And that's also like I can't even fucking get this guy on the straight and narrow. Like you know, promise me that you'll show up at this time and have this amount of money. Yeah. Johnny Boy doesn't do that. Like now, like that makes me lesser of a person because I vouched for you. I thought the least I could do is vouch for you. Yes. Yeah. And then I mm. like, I am kind of smirched by, by, by vouching for you. And then you show up and it's not that you just don't have the money. You show up and you're paying other money that you have. Right. For things. Well, I had to buy them a round of drinks while yes. I, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I can give you, Five dollars right now to pay off my like two thousand dollar yeah. debt, and it, and, and and this is in nineteen seventy three dollars. Like that's yes. a, he yeah. fucked up, dude. Yeah, and he owes money all around mm -hmm. too. He's been the entire movie hiding and not not paying the money. Not to uh, and I'm gonna cop Greg's phrase because th I think this is gonna come up on the podcast a lot. But not to sound too much like a uh, you know film minor, but um, I think that the other thing that we're watching too is that we have. Harvey, Charlie as a real guy that Martin Scorsese grew up with. Yeah. And Johnny Boy as what we see in the movie theaters if they really existed. So, like, um, last action, Arnold Schwarzenegger from Last Action Hero or Jeff Daniels from Purple Rose of Cairo came down from the screen, right? If, if Jimmy Cagney from his movies really came down, this is what it would be like to be around them. Yeah. You know, if they actually acted like this, right. it's not fucking sexy. And yeah. it's not fun. It would be awful and horrifying and unpredictable, and you wouldn't want it. Like, there's nothing sexy about it. And I mean, he goes up to the roof and just starts shooting at the Empire State Building, yeah. which it looks like is like two miles away from where he is. So, 
You're not gonna. He, he definitely injures people. Yeah, he's <laughs> bullets, shooting bullets. Bullets travel great distances. Yeah, like, he didn't see those people get hit, but they got hit. Oh my god, Charlie! I definitely injured people for sure. <laughs> All right, when we get back, when we come back, when we're back, we are going to talk about the career of one Harvey Keitel. We have not done a ton of movies with Harvey Keitel in them. That is true. That is um, weird. But he is a, a big star, and he's he's a star that we have seen over the course of his career basically all of. I feel like we have seen every inch of, of Harvey Keitel's body. And it must be said, we did the Hot Boys, and so I'm still going to use some of their energy. He's fit in this movie. Mm-hmm. He is, he is like, fit in a way that not many dudes in the 70s yeah. actually were. Like the, Part of what I like about the 70s is you could be a little pudgy. Uh, and he didn't opt for that. He's like cut and lean. I notice um, a lot of times people who rock. What do we call them now? Do we not call them the uh, the A cut undershirt? The A cut undershirt mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. often not the most fit of people. Yes, they are always stretching those A cut undershirts yeah. out to their limits. <laughs> like get the bottom of their gut in. <laughs> uh, but no, he uh, he's looking good. So uh, I think it is only fair since we've uh, now completely. Um, uh, talked about his body <laughs> to now talk about his body <laughs> of work. Good job. Uh, I was thinking about him, as I do. Um, he's my Roman Empire. I think about him <laughs> once a week. <laughs> Ryan. Um, it's weird that for some reason, at first thought, I think of him, him, him as like a uh, big, screamy guy. But that's not true. No. I think he's just always mm. like the quiet force in the back. Isn't it, he's the kind of guy who shows us that um, the loud, screamy guy is annoying and scary, but that the quiet guy, way scarier, who's just like makes you lean in when he says the stuff, is like ten times as scary. And there's there's quite a few roles where he pulls that off in this bracket here. So we've got his uh, eight biggest roles, and we are going to make them square off and see which one will be his biggest role. Um, and also give us a little time to just talk about Hollywood celebrity Harvey Keitel. So first up is number one seed, and I don't think anyone would disagree with this. Mr. White from Reservoir Dogs versus number eight seed Slocum from Thelma and Louise. So no, we did that. We did. We did this one. And we taught. We mm-hmm. said that was pretty good, right? Like, yeah. He was the only guy that wasn't a total brain dead moron in that movie. What he was the cop that was like basically by the end of it, he's like, I want to be Thelma and Louise. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, just take me with you. I won't steal from you. That was so beautiful. Yeah, him chasing them off the thing and, like, him kind of rejecting the world of men in the way that they did. Like, yeah, following in their footsteps literally and physically. But also, that's the last name of a lover. <laughs> right? <laughs> the last name of what? A lover. A lover? Yeah, slow come. Like, that's, oh. that's what you want. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Ryan. Wow, I heard all your words, and I could not make them make any sense to me. I don't know if you could see how <laughs> at sea I was with that. Uh, it's a real red Ford over here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not firing on all cylinders. I still have brain fog from the COVID that I got two months ago. Uh, so, But Mr. White from Reservoir Dogs, I feel like this is, this or maybe one other person we're going to talk about in a second is the number one guy we think of when we think of Harvey Keitel, right? And maybe the number one guy we think of when we think of the movie Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Buscemi stole a lot of scenes in that movie. That's true. But, um, I think Mr. White, 
And Maybe it, Reservoir Dogs is one of those movies where if you think it's about one guy, then right away you're like, or actually, there's this other guy. Yeah, uh, Madsen yeah, that's stole was... one scene in one ear. But um, <laughs> I, uh, does Tarantino, should Tarantino right. get like Travolta-level credit for reviving a career? Or is Keitel just like always around? I feel like he's always around. I feel like if we, it, yeah. when we go over this entire bracket, it's going to feel like he just keeps coming back in another kind of big to iconic role. Yeah. I think I, I think Kaitel is surprisingly versatile and and I think he gets uh I think we pigeonhole Kaitel the way we think about him but like Slocum is a good character yeah. and very off type for yes. him to play kind of a quiet cop that's really like actually intent like well intended mm-hmm. he's following he's following the law but he understands the law has like limits around it oh. and they should apply equally to people it's like what a wild idea also being a sensitive boy and watching Thelma and louise it's like so beautiful and i guess this is a character that's a lot like charlie because isn't charlie such a sensitive boy too and, and trying to make everything work and it's got a real strong feminine energy but what's it going to be gentlemen mr white or slocum Ryan. Yeah, I mean, Mr. White. Yeah, Mr. White. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a white guy moves on. Wow. Uh, up next is... Now, Ryan, this is not the bad lieutenant that you're always talking about, right? This is another movie called Bad Lieutenant, but it's not Port Authority or whatever. Believe Port it or not, I am usually talking about uh, <laughs> Bad Lieutenant's first sequel. Uh, the debut of Bad Lieutenant's first sequel, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Yes. With Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is Abel Ferrara's Iguana Cam. Uh, this is Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant, where, which is a fucking crazy movie, and he does hit some loudies, yeah, but <laughs> uh, mostly quiet and mostly bad. Uh, and he, they do attach a camera to Harvey Keitel's uh, donger, and do they get the view from that? Yeah, yeah. It's the original Iguana Cam. Man, yeah. uh, if what I remember from the piano is correct, that camera was probably pretty low to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he plays the eponymous bad lieutenant, which he has got to feel it. like you really nail it if you're the bad lieutenant in Bad Lieutenant. He, every scene he walks in, he's like, Lieutenant, bad lieutenant. <laughs> Versus <laughs> this is like, this is definitely one of the first people I think of when I, or characters I think of when I think of him. Uh, the number five seed is Winston the Wolf from Pulp Fiction. Ooh. Uh, mm-hmm. Called in very brief turn in the movie. Um, kind of does the Baldwin where he just like sweeps in has one scene, steals the show. And by Baldwin, you mean from the movie Rust? From the movie. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Ryan, you, you, you really shot yourself in the foot there, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, just, just the role of like the fixer is so yeah. cool. The guy that no matter what the problem is, you just call him, he shows up, and he takes care of it. Not through violence, but through just getting shit done. But, like, uh, this is so important because he is, uh, what, like, five foot four? Yeah. And, you know, like, not, you know, traditionally handsome. He's not, he doesn't have Hollywood good looks. But, like, uh, we wrote this part, Winston the Wolf. He has to exude cool in every moment. He has to exude confidence in every second. Yeah. Harvey Keitel. Obviously, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. yeah. Harvey Keitel has that thing where he's a little fella. But he's like Prince in that it's not a point against him. It might even be a point for him. Right. Yeah. Harvey Keitel could throw a guitar it, he's, he's, into the he's air and it never comes into down. a smaller. Yes, yes exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's like we took we took the cool of a seven foot four <laughs> guy and we put it in this five foot two guy. I, I think I think and Winston is so like Winston will always stick for me. That's that's my vote here easily because 
that is one of the best scenes in all of Pulp Fiction. Yes. It is one of the most memorable scenes in all of like my early movie watching and probably all of movie watching for me in general. Yes. And it's and it's like competency porn in a way that is really, <laughs> really compelling, right? Like the idea that you would be in such deep shit and someone could walk in and say, I know exactly how to solve it. Do these five things and you're fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to answer to them. You don't have to do anything. You just go, great, thank you. This is everything I need in my adult life is someone to show up when there's a, an issue and go, bing, bomb, boom, you're done. Right? And Samuel Jackson's trying to listen to the instructions, but his partner is like, <clears throat> oh, my God, should we really be doing this <laughs> hey. right now? Uh, <laughs> shot this guy right in the head. Oh. I do have – something's always bothered me, though. In the movie, 1993 movie, Point of No Return, where – Bridget Fonda plays an assassin. Harvey Keitel plays a fixer that gets called in. Is that true? And I don't know if this is a reference or a coincidence. Like, Quentin Tarantino couldn't be referencing Point of No Return, could he? I don't know. That's, like, because that is itself a remake of La Femme Nikita. Right. Which is, one, which is like, a pretty big movie in, in, a, in a genre that he is liable to like. That's so but amazing. he's referencing a movie from, like, two years earlier. Right. That seems like a tight turn. <laughs> But also, I don't know, that could be a weird sort of, like, meta double joke on his part, the fact that he's even doing that. Winston at one point. He's tossing an Easter egg in for for the... Yeah, uh, for the hardcore. The knowing viewer. He's tossing a salad and an Easter egg. Uh, (laughs) There's a point in Pulp Fiction where Winston the Wolf says, what about you, Lash Lash LaRue? Are you able to keep your spurs from a jingling and a jangling? And not only (laughs) does Winston pull off that line... But Quentin Tarantino wrote that line, and we think of him as like one of our greatest screenwriters. Man, yeah, it, because he's he's out there on the line. Like, I, I I swear, like you said that line, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But then I remembered it like in the movie, and I was like, no, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, that was, no, that was pretty yeah, good man, He's so good at that. When someone is that competent, yeah. they can say whatever they want. I mean, it, it it goes back to what you said. Like, it's Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glenn Ross. Like, he like that monologue has some absurd shit in it. Mm-hmm. There, but it's it's with authority, and you're like, okay, there are <laughs> this guy's in charge. There are a lot of lines in Kill Bill that are absolute groaners that we like were hooting and hollering <laughs> about because he just he does it. He pulls it off. But what's it going to be? So we have one vote for Winston the Wolf. Ryan, what's your vote? I think that yeah. Bad Lieutenant has had almost no like social thumbprint you know yeah yeah and plus it lets me on the on the thing here it says white wolf now cool that's pretty cool isn't that um winter soldier isn't he known as the white oh yeah that's what he's called by the 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 soviets uh george baines from the piano versus sport from taxi driver Ryan, remind us of Sport from Taxi Driver. Uh, Sport is the uh, pimp of Jodie Foster's 13-year-old hooker. He's got a ponytail. He's an absolutely disgusting person. (laughs) So basically the weekend from The Idol. (laughs) Yes. Okay, now I'm there. Now I'm there with you. Um, And this this person is more disgusting than his character from The Piano. Oh, yeah. George Baines, I think, is awesome. Uh, He fucking cucks the shit out of Sam Neill (laughs) and uh, has sex with Holly Hunter. While Sam Neill is watching from under the house, George <laughs> George Baines is awesome. He gets he hooks up with like an Aboriginal tribe, uh, just becomes one of them. Piano is uh, one of the best movies of the nineties. Well, hopefully, we'll George Baines is another competency porn character too. He's a guy who can go into the wilderness and figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Sam Neill is like I'm too 
English slash, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm too Western Europe to figure this out. And yeah. Sam Neil, he can't do anything because he's like, well, was this from dinosaurs? It's like, no, Sam Neil, not everything is from dinosaurs. Could we just have one thing where we don't talk about dinosaurs, Sam Neil? <laughs> they're probably birds now. We know, Sam Neil. We know they're birds now. Okay? We saw the movie. Goodness. Well, who's it going to be, gentlemen? Is it going to be Baines moving on or Sport? What do you think, Nate? Oh, it's got to be Baines. Yeah. Ryan. Sports great. I don't think that in this Martin Scorsese show, there's just no time to talk about Taxi Driver. It's George Baines. <laughs> <laughs> and then our last matchup of this, the first round, Charlie from Mean Streets versus Rocco Klein from Clockers. Ryan, remind us of, of Rocco Klein from Clockers. Right, remind the listeners, I know, but remind the listeners because they're like, what? Uh, Clockers is a very underrated Spike Lee movie where uh, Rocco Klein plays, uh, or Harvey Keitel plays Rocco Klein, yet another cop that cares. Uh, so nice to have, uh, to have a, a cop that cares. Spike Lee does kind of believe in cops that care. Sometimes. Over the course of his oeuvre, like, he's had a lot of positive cop characters at the end of the day. You know what's weird is sometimes the white cops are cool and the black cops are always the villains. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can see why, why he would do that. I have to give a shout-out to Charlie from Mean Streets. I find this to be one of, like, the most compelling characters that we have had in, in any of our movies. The way he is believably pulled in a million different directions and then you can see him think, I could do this. Like, the, as the viewer, you're like, oh, man, this is not going to work out. And he's like, uh-uh, I got this. Check this out. And you watch him. It's like the opposite of competency porn, right? Like, he cannot yeah. – the center cannot hold, right? The world is absolutely mad. He can't hold it all together. And the streets watching, are too mean. The streets are a little bit too mean. Uh, and we get to see, you know, him not figured out. So I'm going to – I am putting my – spiritual vote because so far it has not we have not needed yeah. my vote uh <laughs> i hope you will agree that it's charlie from mean streets but what do you think ryan who should it be yeah clockers is just not remembered enough yeah what do you do you agree nate yeah, yeah no it's it's definitely charlie i mean th this is this is probably the most fully deep character like most human character that harvey Keitel has i mean that i've seen yeah uh that he plays where he's not He's not over the top in any particular direction, and he really is. He he seems like the most well-intentioned, totally, un, you know, beyond-his-depth person. I love how in the in beginning this. of the movie, uh, he's watching the, the topless dancer, and he's like, you love her, but there's nothing you can do because you're white and she's black. And you think that's going to be important to the movie? And then you're like, wait, no, you're dating somebody else. And then he asks that woman out, but that doesn't show up. Because he's like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. Yeah. It's going to be complicated. Uh, that's just like something that just it gets kind of like just thrown into this movie. But I find I want to like think about for so long. It's like uh, his culture holds him back or, you know, like, you know, like maybe just Xanax, dude. Like maybe <laughs> just like a couple of antidepressants is probably going to help him out more than anything. I, I think that's I think that's why he likes uh, Johnny Boy so much because he he's he's holding himself back. Right. Yeah. But now too, he has right? an excuse. Like that's part of his thing. I was and Johnny Boy like well, but Johnny Boy also represents an entirely not holding himself back version of him. Yeah. That would just go. He would just go over there and ask that woman out and sleep with her and everything, and, maybe, and it would be no big. Maybe deal. just take off his pants and then just walk up on stage with her. Who knows. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, w I was wondering if another thing about their relationship is that Charlie feels so bad about himself, 
but he can always look over at Johnny Boy and be like, well, this guy's the biggest fuck up in the world. So obviously I'm doing okay <laughs> yeah. if, if this guy's over it, here. So much of that, yeah, it's, it's power dynamics is that he looks, uh, uh, Charlie's boss is his uncle, right? Yes. And th- he respects that and he wants that, but he can't have it right now. And so, but he has it over Johnny Boy. You know, yeah, he gets sure. a little bit of that juice. So our in our second round, we have Mr. White versus Winston the Wolf. Ooh, QT versus QT. What do you think, Ryan? Not fair. I think that I quote the wolf more when I'm cleaning up uh-huh. dead bodies. Isn't it Mr. White, though, that says, you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize? And the way he says is, you better wake, wake up and apologize. <laughs> I think I have to go with the wolf. All right, yeah. Nate, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I got, I got to go. With yeah, the wolf I got to go with the wolf. Too. I get it, I get it. Made a big impression. How about uh, Baines versus Charlie, Nate? I got to go with Charlie. I mean, I like, I like Baines, but Baines is uh, ultimately not as dynamic and interesting a character. And was it I weird mean, that uh, Baines never talked like this? <laughs> I was born in the forest. You merely refused to go out into it. Right, Ryan? Like Bane? Uh, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, what do you think? I think that Bane's is, like, he's so good and bad. He's so complex. I love Bane's. Um, and this is pluralized Bane's. Yeah, more than one. I love the sequel to The Dark Knight Rises. Batman, there's watch, two out, Banes. watch out for your back, big guy. There's multiple Bane's. Oh, my God, there's so many Bane's. Oh, jeez. Crap. Um, oh, actually, that felt good. I'm going with Baines, Greg. Why don't you vote? <laughs> oh, I right, Well, then I'm going to – I get a chance to vote, and I love it. And Charlie is moving through. And we are introducing Charlie to his polar opposite, uh, the wolf. Who do we think it's going to be, Nate? Do we think it's the wolf or do we think it's Charlie? I still got to go with the wolf. I got to go for competency. I got to go for the fact that you have a character who is able to appear for 10 minutes, disappear – and resonate with generations of people. Still be you don't even need a whole movie for this guy. <laughs> Ryan, what do you say? Yeah, it's the wolf. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's the perfect answer. I think if you say Harvey Keitel, especially on like a, a middle-aged dude's po- film podcast, the first thing we're going to think of is the wolf, right? So pretty please, wish I could on top. Clean the fucking car. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about Michael. It's easy to lose sight of Michael, the character, not the guy who refused to show up for the show today, because of the intense dynamic between Charlie and Johnny Boy. But in many ways, he is the most fascinating character in the movie. What is it about Michael, as played by Richard Romanus, that is so captivating? Well, first of all, did you guys recognize his face? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, I, this is going to be a weird answer. I did, but I didn't know, like, from what. He is the father of a villain from a different movie we have covered on Movie of the Year. I'm even more confused than I was before. Nate, do you know who his I son don't. is? Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> he, they have the exact same face because he is the father of Vic Damone who did not show up to pay for Jennifer Jason Lee's abortion. Oh! In yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, wow. The exact oh, wow. same yeah. face. Right. You're right. Oh, man. And the same kind of like 
demeanor yeah, and like, everything. Hey, you know what? What? What you want? You know, man, you you blew it, Vic Damone. <laughs> you know, you got to show up for that. That's you're needed there. Uh, but I, here's what I like. Here's where this question comes from. Um, I don't feel like we get a lot of characters like Michael. Johnny Boy is a big fuck up, right? Charlie is uh, a kind of a, a fish out of water. But Michael is as well. And he so badly wants to be a real gangster. But the first thing we see is this really, like, it's almost embarrassing even to the audience. Him, like, being <laughs> yeah. like, hey, these lenses are the best lenses you can get. This is a terrible impression of Michael. And then the guy's like, no, light racism. This is, these are adapters. And he's like, wait, what? And you see his face fall? Yeah. Like, oh, man. Um, and then the, like, the, the only successful thing we see him do is he rips off, like, two 17-year-olds for, like, 15 bucks. Uh, and I just feel like we can see the way he dresses. We want this guy. We want to feel like he is, like, a cool gangster. He wants to feel like he's a cool gangster. But he's just kind of a schlub. Yeah, like, that first big job is to uh, take... 20 bucks off of two kids like to sell them fireworks and, and it looks like they spent three hours doing it right because the day for night the that's a problem throughout the entire movie okay you think that's more like a yeah. flub yeah okay. like <laughs> scorsese <laughs> cares not about they pick these kids up in the early afternoon and by the time they drop them off it's like 10 p.m um but yeah to make 20 bucks and like that's uh, i think that's sort of the thing about the movie though is that despite johnny boy being in for like three grand uh, plus vig, which is a word that I have always said in a lot of conversations. Oh that's yeah, not, that's not just because this watching this movie. Yeah, the vigorish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're getting uh, our beaks wet. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is Eight. not uh, sure what sort of gangster he is. I don't know who his boss is. I don't think he works for Harvey, Ke- Harvey Keitel's uncle, who is like. Truly the only real gangster in this movie. Yes. Um, and who looks very cool doing it. I think I said that earlier, but like... In he's a got movie, like the white coat. In, in a movie about idiot non-gangsters, he's like the real deal. And everything about him is just like amazingly yeah. cool. Like Charlie comes back and he's like, hey, uh, so they couldn't pay at the restaurant? And I was like, I think maybe this is a scam. And I think maybe they should be paying more, but they're not. Do you want me to like watch him? And he's like, no, business is slow. It'll pick up. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. In my He's life. the kind of guy who like take off his white fur coat, and <laughs> yes, yes, someone will appear out of nowhere Thanks. just to catch the coat before yeah. it hits the ground. <laughs> he can just drop his hat, and it's a. But Michael a hat dresses rep- way better than everybody else. Yes, like, he's all. He makes sure he has the suit on before. It's the, like the first thing you really notice right. about him, right? right? Before they yeah. even go to like do the firework thing, he's got the full suit on. Um, but he just keeps getting pushed by everyone, but mostly Johnny Boy, to the point where like. I have to do something. Either I have to go find a job, like I have to go work in an office, yeah. or I have to fucking do something if I'm going to continue in this line of work. It, the movie is about Charlie, right? Like it, it, He is obviously the center of the movie, but I feel like most of the times the movie would be about Michael. And you see yeah. Michael does not, he, he does not want to do the violence that he does at the end of this movie. And he is trying to like, make himself do it well which he doesn't though he does he, he has somebody else do it You're he right. hires a guy yeah. that like right. we have not seen in the movie previously so like he goes and finds a guy which could be a homeless guy or an unhomed guy or somebody who also owes him a favor yeah. like he needs he needs somebody else to do it he drives the car 
And he's probably going to live with that guilt in a way that we don't see in movies because he's not that guy. Yes. Yeah. And he's, because go he's Nate. play acting like Michael's Michael's in costume mm-hmm. in a way that Charlie is not right. Charlie is authentically wearing the gangster. He's wearing the the persona of gangster authentically like he's living it. He's trying to figure it out. He's succeeding to degrees. Michael is thinking that he's going to ascend to some sort of, like, cinematic gangsterdom, right? Like, and maybe Scorsese's making a commentary. Maybe he did see The Godfather and he's like, hey, let's take this down even another notch to what it really is, which is there's a bunch of guys doing this. There's a bunch of guys who think they're going to make it big, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, It reminds me a little bit of the way that like someone a a young person now or even over the last 20 something years might aspire to sort of the the gangster lifestyle that is embodied in in like hip-hop right Mm -hmm. it's like okay michael's thinking okay i'm gonna be a businessman this is my entrepreneur play is to become this guy so i'm gonna dress like i'm gonna you know dress for the job i want yeah i'm gonna be i'm gonna i think i'm gonna be this person but he doesn't have like he doesn't have the the guts, the the balls, whatever for it. Like he's not built for it. I mean, Johnny Boy's right when he says, "I borrow money from you and don't repay it because you're a jerk off and I don't respect you and I, I I can do that. Like you're the only idiot who's still lending me money even though I don't pay anybody back. So that's why I do it. Like that's a Johnny Boy's annoying, but that's a correct read of him, right? Yeah, and also like for Charlie, Charlie is giving loans to people in the neighborhood who can't get loans. Which is very easy for Charlie to rationalize, yeah. right? So he's like, the banks aren't going to give these people money because they're too poor or they're too ethnic or, like, they're not up to snuff, right? They're, their credit report's not going to let them get loans, so we're doing that. It's just that we charge a higher VIG, a word that I always use. Mm-hmm. and It's so seamless when you do. Too. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, um, but, like, so we're, we're, we're giving our community a service. It's just um, a little bit of violence might come. But, like, in that scene in the bar where they go to get their payment, the the guys in the bar hall start the fight, right? So, like, yeah. violence isn't a part of their gangster lifestyle as much as other movies might portray it. And they start it after they assert, we are not <laughs> going to pay, and the reason we're not going to pay is because you're mooks. Right. Like, we, we, uh, we don't think you're <laughs> legitimate gangsters. We think you're mooks, and so we're not going to pay. And then once the fight starts, this fight is awesome for how terrible it is. Yeah, <laughs> there n- there are no like really committed participants in this fight, except for maybe a little bit Johnny Boy, but he's trying to fight like eighteen guys at the same time, yeah, and just firing off a series of kicks. Well, a, a bunch of the guys that are fighting Johnny Boy are his own friends. Like fuck <laughs> this guy, I hate him. Uh, and this all happens after a Seinfeldian conversation about what a mook is. Yes. It's like, oh my god, George, what's a mook? I don't know, Jerry, what's a mook? What's a mook? I never heard of a mook before. But so it's easy for Charlie to, I think, rationalize his gangster lifestyle because it's not, it's just not on the books. As yeah. far, you know, uh, Johnny, however, right. is doing crazy shit and Michael wants to be a legitimate gangster. Yeah, he, wa- he wants the, the actual thing. I love, Nate, what you said about um, that he like wears the costume, right? Like he, it, there seems to be a very filmic quality about him. And it's hard not to think this is 1973. We are sandwiched perfectly as if our intention was to avoid the first two Godfather movies. Is there, are, is there, are there echoes of the Godfather in this at all? Do we feel like we've got a character named Michael? He 
does not is not like born to the role of gangster, but maybe tries to do it. Do we feel like there's a connection between these two movies? It to me it does t- from Marty's perspective. If I can speak for Marty, please do. That's Martin oh, yeah. Scorsese to you, but I call him Marty. Um, it does feel like a response to The Godfather, even though I I bet he didn't see it. But it feels like a response in that like fuck this Paramount classic movie shit i'm gonna show you what it was really like on the, these mean streets yeah he probably had not seen it also i had to look this up because i didn't understand why so much boomer music was in this movie <laughs> why wasn't the music of 1973 in this movie uh it's because the movie takes place in 1961 yeah did you guys know that uh i did I, not know that yeah Jeez. i I, right. I i got the feeling that it was a floating time in the 60s um, but yeah, I, I, I did get that sixties feel from it that it was not actually supposed to be like 1970. I think those years all combined. So hard. like th- there was no point where I, I was like, that suit seems older than 73. Like all these years jammed together yeah. for me. Yeah. The, and the music I think kind of falls out of sync with like the year, you know, not that that matters that much or, or, or whatever, but, uh, I do think that it, it does an okay job of situating itself in the sixties. It's just hard 50 years later to be like, wait, is this 50 years later or 60 years later? It, it kind of becomes and it, samey and to There's us. a couple of characters that could be like, Johnny Boy, hey, it's 1961. <laughs> hey, we haven't even landed on the moon yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's a moon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the moon hasn't been invented yet. Time for a speed round. Ultimately, is this the most casually racist movie we've ever seen? Ryan, did, yes. were you were you sure that I was going to have a whole topic about how racist I, this movie is? I thought is? one segment would be covered up by just you listing all of the times you were like, ooh. You, you know, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's Three Stooges Syndrome. There is so much racism in this movie that it can't all fit through the door. Like, I don't, I don't, in, in a way, it kind of blends into the background. I mean, it's not a... It's not a racist movie. The characters indulge in near There's constant racism. One part at the bar at like a party where three guys are lined up against the wall, like the three stooges, and they're like, well, she's an N-word, but at least she isn't a C-word. Huh? Yeah. Uh, like, okay, that <laughs> that maybe is, is... Like, is that commentary on racism, or is that engaging in racism? I think it's, I think it's Scorsese doing the, like, this is how it was. And I you do know? believe that. I mean... I absolutely believe that because, like, I have seen that. I, I I absolutely believe it because I've seen it reproduced in other gangster things that they that they happen. They tend to be casually racist, and I will say this: they are equal opportunity offenders, Ryan. Right? Doesn't it, doesn't everybody get it? I mean, the well, movie- that's the thing. It's not just racism. The the isms and phobias in this movie are uh, <laughs> myriad. Arachnophobia. They yeah, hate spiders. Yeah. They the- really do. It is such a racist movie that I looked up the term mook repeatedly. Like, I was never comfortable. And I still, honestly, as I say it now, I'm still a little uncomfortable because it's got to be racist. Otherwise, they wouldn't say it so much. I I can't wait for Greg's next Thanksgiving dinner. And he calls, like, his dad a mook. And all the silverware hits the plates. The jukebox gets unplugged. You know what? I'll tell you, in my the, the, uh, a term they use uh, in this movie a lot is scumbag uh-huh. in my household you could get away with like a lot of like near cursing or maybe just like one slight curse but if you said scumbag you got like like everything stopped like the record would screech and my parents would be like that's really disgusting don't yeah. say well, that well because it's it's actually s scumbag 
Yeah, right? And uh, it just means you use condoms. So that's gross. You that, shouldn't say that in front of your parents. You should not say that in front of your parents. Do you know parents. what it is at my house? Uh, if you tell my mom or any elder to shut up, if you even like uh, laughing while you say it, if you say it to anybody, shut up. You know, it was a big one when I was a kid. Uh, w- when we were children, we could not accuse our parents of lying. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, we couldn't say you know, that they, they lied. Constantly, though. We would have to say they fibbed. <laughs> F-I-B. They, they fibbed. <laughs> and if you said These lie, lies are in service of the family, so you <laughs> not besmirch them. <laughs> These are the tiny Yeah, I know lies. we said Disneyland and we went to the dentist, but that was a fib for that your own good. That was a fib, which I guess. Ultimately, <laughs> what is a mook? <laughs> I, it's a it's a type of mule. <laughs> if you believe the old English, I do. I always go back. <laughs> I always go back to the old English for any of my insults. Also, Greg um, writes in old English and texts in old English. Yeah, really hard to figure it's out. It's very what he's Chaucerian. To say. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's difficult to, to parse. I like how uh, when we think of old English, it's like ye old coffee shoppy. <laughs> And then when you look at something that's old English, you're like, this is German. No, that this is. is a, yeah. These letters I have never seen before in my entire life. Somebody put their thumb, like you do on a hose, on a bottle of ink and just <laughs> sprayed it on a, on a page. It's like somebody's writing phonetically Sean Connery and Michael Caine talking at the same time <laughs> and then uh, printing it out for you. Ultimately, what was the meanest street? Was it Crime Alley? Oh, that was a mean one. If, okay... Victim blaming is wrong. Sure. But say you've just enjoyed the theater with your wife and son, mm. and you are <laughs> immensely wealthy. Do you – that? there is a sign. There's a street sign that says Crime Alley. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> – like, the city put up a sign. All Do the tourists you, are taking selfies next to yeah. it. <laughs> Do you cut through Crime Alley? <laughs> oh, you know what? There's a shortcut right here. Should we just go this <laughs> way? <laughs> Oh, you mean through Karim Alley? I believe that's the old English. You know, my pearl it? necklace is a little loose right now, but yeah, let's <laughs> just go this way. Ultimately, is it good that senior Italian correspondent Mike Gravano was not on this episode? I think so, right? The amount of forget about it that would have come out of that guy's mouth. I feel like that it is, it, it's very closely tied to why he didn't show up. Because he knew that he was going to be, like, basically called to answer for what any character did in this. Hey, Mike, why is it that Italians do this? Uh, could you just answer? When was the last time you were at the St. Ghana Festival? Do you lo- did you love it? Is it cool? Which makes it weird because I'm also Italian and nobody's held me uh, to a Nate Regolia? <laughs> Nate Regolia yeah. is Italian? Wait, that's an Italian name? Yeah, it's a Sicilian name, so it's it's You're Sicilian. the most dangerous kind of Italian. Just like Mike. Oh wow. my gosh! You should both have a. You should be on a podcast together called Sicilian Slices. Over under you know, we... on the amount of hits that Mike and Nate uh, like had on each other's family. I'm gonna set it at three. Three, probably. Yeah, they probably have ancient, ancient rivalries. If Mike was here, he would be drinking pepperoncini juice out of a pepperoncini jar. Like it would be a lot. Oh, Sicily. Oh, yeah. Sicily, center of the entire world and the center of our podcasting hearts. When we come back, awards, but also recommendations. Awards. Ryan, I didn't check, so you check me on this. I don't think this won any Oscars. I don't think so, Greg. Yeah, which, I don't know. At the end of the show, we can talk about whether or not we think that was a bit of a snub. That kind of feels like a bit of a snub. I was shocked to throw this movie on. Uh, and see Warner Brothers at the beginning, just because it feels so indie and gritty. Yeah. Like, 
Was this really put in movie theaters by a major studio? You know? Yeah. I, it, it, it's, it's from our grittiest time in film, isn't it? Yeah. Right? That's what Do you remember when movies were made for adults and <laughs> came out in theaters for adults to watch? <laughs> you mean pornos. I love it. Um, hey So let's start with the pound-for-pound pound performance. This seems like it's going to be easy at first, and then you just start running through the characters – I don't know that this is so easy to pick, Nate. What do you? Th- who do you think runs away with the pound for pound performance? I I have to give it to uh, David Carradine for being drunk and then the getting shot in the back and shot in the front <laughs> and surging forward like a madman. And they could not afford uh, blanks; they had to use real bullets. Yeah. That guy is a champion. He sa- he said that he would take it. And uh, the guy that the assassin or whatever. Is played by his brother? Yep. A different Carradine. Can I ask you about that assassination scene? Uh, it's cool, but I just don't get why the assassin pulls his hair out before shooting. I thought he was going to go down on him or something. Yeah, like, it, it, is it is it because... I don't know why it is, but it's very interesting why he suddenly whips his hair out. I don't know if it's supposed to change his appearance so that no one can make him later, but he's got that long hair, so it would be better to have it tucked away. But the flourish certainly made the assassination seem cooler until <laughs> do you know what i loved about it is that the interesting young beautiful dude that comes in right like mm-hmm. this perfect face that does not fit in this movie because nobody has perfect faces in this movie yeah sits down and we have all these questions and then he goes in and he assassinates the drunkest person in movie history yes who's sitting at the bar and he's like i'm so drunk clears off the bar knocks all the bottles off lays on the bar everyone's just like yeah oh dave's yeah, whatever he's, he does this sometimes <laughs> and he's having a terrible time just trying to pee and then <laughs> he, like when he when when the assassin walks in the bathroom you are watching a man who is who is having difficulties staying straight on the <laughs> yes urinal, figuring out even how uh, the act he's uh, kind functions. of he's kind of leaning on the wall next to it in a way that doesn't like address the urinal correctly like he's sort <laughs> yeah. of off at a weird angle but we're going to get some answers to this, and we're going to have these gangsters, these tough-ass guys, fuck these two up or figure out what's going on. And when the when the battle, the brawl, comes outside of the bathroom into the main bar, everyone's like, fucking gun, get down. Like, this is crazy because there's a gun in the room. That's not how gangster movies work. Yeah. Right? Everyone's like, holy shit, a gun. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, Ryan, who do you say? So that's, that, that's one for... Uh... Carradine. David Carradine? Yes, David. And then his brother's Peter. Robert Carradine is the younger brother. Oh, yeah. And then Keith Carradine is the one that's not in this. Keith Carradine. In Revenge of the Nerds, though. Yes. uh, (laughs) Robert Carradine is the one from Revenge of the Nerds. Keith Carradine is the one from Nashville who had had sex with that woman from Nashville and then made Martha Plimpton. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with Robert De Niro, which I know is dangerous with Greg as the host, but uh, we're watching a star making performance here yeah uh it's hard ryan uh just the amount that like i wanted to like grab him and just shake him and like i was so jealous of kaitel getting to like do (laughs) those slaps and i have heard that um he was super annoying on the set and that like people were starting to get concerned like with just how under the collar he would get to like everybody and so i i think that uh that method was very very impressive. How- De Niro's hair in this movie though is awesome. Yes, yes, his hair. He's got like that. He uh, knowing it's sixty one now. 
uh, it's like, oh, yeah, this is like a very, like, cutting-edge haircut. If it's 61, he's pre-Beatles even. Yeah. So he's not even like, he's doing mop top before mop top, and it's just kind of all over the, it's disheveled in the best way. Yes. Right? Yes. It makes him look boyish. How about director's signature, Ryan? Um, it's so clear to me. Like, I think that even before watching this movie this week, I would have said, uh, bar painted red with light. Yeah. Like, we're in fucking hell. Harvey Keitel is leaning against it. It's not the first time we see Harvey Keitel. That's with, uh, boom, 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 mm, with, yeah. uh, Be My Baby. But, uh, camera, perfect Martin Scorsese zoom or tracking shot on him. It's Rolling Stones. Uh, this is when... Uh, Johnny Boy's walking in with two girls, but it's sort of from Johnny Boy's point of view, and that's mm-hmm. like we're now. Martin Scorsese has been created. Yeah, I there is the the movie feels a little rickety until that point, and then you just get so blown away and overwhelmed by that that you're just like, I feel like you are so committed as the viewer. Uh, what is yours? We go into that. We go. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Like we we go into that like partial slow mo as De Niro's entering. It's not quite fully slow, slowed down, but it's just a little slow while the music is playing. Yeah, and that, yeah that's one hundred percent it. Like it's it's between that and the and the kind of uh, drunk camp harness shot that Kaitel's got. Yeah, yeah. Um, although that is like I, I think that that's that shot's a little too pardon the pun, but in your face. Like I feel like there's that there's there's too much movie making going on there. This opening scene though, the way in which it binds the viewer to the movie. Um, and just the, the, like, the sonic, like, overwhelming quality of n- not just how big the music is, but how perfect it is. And just like, wow, this marriage of film and music. It's yeah. Like, something, something not just the movie has started at this point. And, yeah, watching it even this time, I was just like, <gasps> you know? Ryan Nate. It's, right. it's really cool, too, that you're, you're in that moment, and Scorsese cements you so well that you feel like you're you're in the bar with them, yes, right? Yeah. Which is a hard thing to do correctly. And he's trying to do that throughout the movie because we have these crowd shots of sort of, uh, you know, the, the festivals and things like that. And those sort of work, but they feel a little more distance and document and documentarian. But the bar stuff in that, in that opening really does kind of make you feel like, oh, I'm a fly on the wall in this in a very unique way. I will say, I think the camera moves too much in this movie occasionally. But one thing that does happen is it builds for you a three-dimensional like knowledge of all the spaces. And I think that's part of why the bar feels so real is that he travels around it in a very three-dimensional way. And so you just kind of have it like mapped out in your head in a way that you don't always get with your more standard uh, assortment of shots. Like you wouldn't get in like a Michael Bay Transformers fight. Probably not. Probably no. not. Yeah. Um, how about cringe? Can you guys think of a single moment that might have, <laughs> from this movie that might have made you cringe? Uh, I'll start with you, Nate. Uh, there's a a young man named Sammy who they are driving for a couple of blocks. Dude, I fucking honestly is honestly I only had one moment. It's like the only one moment shined to me. Sorry, Nate, keep going. <laughs> but he is uh, he's presumably intended to be a, a homosexual. Man. Yes, and uh, and they. Just like this doesn't need to be in the movie, and it's just a scene to sort of show that they're not that they're straight, and they're going to be aggressively like straight against this guy, and he's going to be aggressively mistyped as the stereotypical homosexual that uh, you know uh, all of America believed was the only kind that existed for decades. 
So, yeah, it, it was really gross. I mean, like, uh, this movie uses literally every racial slur that was around at the time. Yeah. And none of it was cringy to me because it was all in context. And at one point, I think they're driving away from the Carradine shootout, the gun, yeah. gunfight at the <laughs> yeah. Carradine Corral. And in the car jumps a gay couple. I, I think a couple. And in the back seat, in the front seat is like a... Uh, less flamboyant gay guy and in the backseat is a guy who despite being witness to a murder can't keep his eyes off harvey Keitel. that's how gay he is that's how horned up and gay he is he's just like oh my god and like this guy's so gay that he would make like paul lind from hollywood squares blush <laughs> like and he's just screaming out he screams that he wants all the meat <laughs> yeah and when he exits the car and they shove him away, like it's it's absurd. At, at this point, we become like a uh, epic movie, disaster movie, parody of like starring gay people. Like eh, this, this scene is does not work. It does not work, in my opinion, Greg. Yeah, and uh, out of a lot of scenes to choose from, it, it is certainly one that that gets your attention. On my second viewing, I I felt like. I saw a little bit more, not to to, to um, give it any sort of like pass, but I saw a little bit more what he was going for. I got the feeling that the what's the Sonny is that his name? Uh-huh. I got the feeling that he his whole thing was as soon as I got in this car, I felt like you guys didn't accept us, and if you're not comfortable with us, then fuck you because okay. here comes a bunch of it, which is why he won't stop with it, and he's hanging his head out and screaming like, "Hey, big boy!" I maybe perhaps it was supposed to be like i get that except for the fact that when nobody is looking at him except for yeah, us you're right he can't keep his eyes off harvey Keitel. yeah which i don't know i mean i think there is also a little truth in that but no uh right i don't feel like defending that scene i i feel like the 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 part in the in the bar uh, near the end of the movie where it's like he like uh, michael is showing everyone pictures of his girlfriend and then someone's like hey i saw her making out with uh and then like everything for the the next 45 seconds of the movie is really white knuckling like pretty awful and again i think he's trying to like do something with it i think he's like trying to make a comment but it's pretty strong racism to hand wave away with like the oh yeah but he's you know people really are like that people really do say stuff like that it's just not funny you know, it's not. I don't think it's played for laughs, and I don't know. It's like a Louis C.K. hour from today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly not comfortable, and you certainly cringe. And right. both of these scenes—that's what—that's that, absolutely true. Like whether or not they were intended in one way or another, they make you just absolutely full body cringe the entire time. Um, our next award is a special one just for this movie, and it's supporting actor who who probably actually did kill someone. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Who do you think of this movie probably did actually kill somebody? We've talked about him a little bit in this episode, but I want to talk about him more. His name is George Mimoli. He played Joey, the bar owner. The gut guy? Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's, called, he's been called the gut guy. Um, this guy is a long-haired ginger um, who, uh, when the fight is over in his bar that he owns, something else happens, which makes him... And then they're having drinks. They're like... But that's look. We're all friends again. We're friends now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have shots, and then immediately starts the fight again. Yes. Uh, and starts kicking boxes at people, and then um, I, he's killed someone in real life. <laughs> 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 I am sure he has personally killed an extra large pizza. Uh, he's a, he's a big fella. He's a big fella. 
Uh, Nate, who do you think has probably killed somebody? I, I, I got to go back to that David Carradine. Well, he's just <laughs> he's got he's got murder eyes. You know he's done it. He definitely killed at least one person. He, he killed himself <laughs> for sure, if not anybody else. Oh shit! Nate, uh, <laughs> Nate has factual evidence. Kind of the inside track on that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next is time you most, and I underline most, wanted to pop Johnny Boy right in the face. Nate, when did you most want to pop Johnny Boy right in the face? He is doing a bit in the very beginning of the movie uh, where he's checking his pants and he's showing <laughs> off to these girls. And he's like, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put these back I, It's the most irritating, <laughs> like... Yeah, because nobody cares. Like, if yeah, you don't want to have your pants on, that's outrageous enough. But don't make <laughs> us all be like, wait, you're checking your pants? That's not how it's actually done. Whoa, this guy's not wearing pants, everybody. He's just wearing shorts down to his knees. Oh, my God. Scandalous. <laughs> Shut up. Don't make it's us just... part of your thing. This movie developed a code word for me and Greg. If I'm ever uh, the height of too muchery at a bar or a party... <laughs> Greg can now lean over and whisper Johnny Boy into my ear. And I'll be like, whoop, time for Ryan to call an Uber. You're Johnny Boy. Nate, I love this answer because there's so many worse things that he does. But this is like, this might have cemented Johnny Boy for our end of the year biggest shithead <laughs> award. Shithead. Uh, you know, in fact, we might start using him after this season as biggest like Johnny the explanation Boy. for who the biggest shithead is. Over, uh, what's his name, Purpose? Yeah, over the guy, the guy from Die, Die Hard. Hard. Uh, Ryan, who do you think, uh, or when was the time you most wanted to pop Johnny Boy in the face? So this is the first time that uh, Charlie and Johnny Boy confront each other. And Charlie's like, hey, can some of the people you owe have some of your money? And they start grabbing money back and forth. Yes. But Johnny Boy is giving uh, one of his explanations for where all the money went. And it's a very specific moment where he's, like, trying to explain, and he bites his curled finger. Yes. And he's like, oh, and then you'll never believe it. Oh, this is what happened. And it drives me fucking nuts. Like, you lying piece of shit. There's no way that anything upset you so much where you have to bite your finger, yes. you piece of shit. Robert De Niro is clearly <laughs> vamping this, like, making up this entire story as he goes. And perfectly. I mean, I'm not, this is not, uh, I'm not, I'm not saying he did a bad job at all. It moves so far away from what it's supposed to be explaining uh -huh. that he totally loses track of where the story is or why he's upset with this kid in the story. And then it turns out that has nothing to do with what he's talking about at all. But yeah, in the middle, argh, biting the knuckle. <laughs> just fake people. Yeah. My, my backup, my, my runner-up was just the way that he walks away from the mailbox in the, in the very, very beginning of the movie when yes. he's introduced. He, he deposits an explosive... And then he does the most obvious, like, <laughs> I just did something wrong walk toward the camera. He keeps, like, mugging hard. He's almost walking into things as if he can't not walk into trash cans yes. and stuff. And it just, it's like, what is this guy's deal that he's, like, he's, he's clearly showing off? I have a couple of bonus ones, too. Okay. Um, when Charlie's in a taxi and Johnny Boy's not there, uh, they talk to the taxi driver. And it's very clearly Robert De Niro playing the taxi driver, setting up a sequel <laughs> in this shared universe. That's number one. And number two, when Robert De Niro gets very upset at Charlie and he turns around and says, I have nipples, Charlie. Can you milk me? <laughs> Those are also very good. Um, now it is time for recommendations. And I'm going to go first. 
Uh, I heard through the grapevine that um, mentor of Martin Scorsese, Roger Corman, said, you should make this movie, but it should star all black people because that's really big right now. Uh, black exploitation is super huge, and I think that you should cash in on that. And Martin Scorsese was like, okay, uh. but like, you know how people are always saying, write what you know and stuff like that? I feel like maybe uh, like the Italian-American experience in New York is something I'm more c- comfortable with. But it got me thinking, you know what movie this sort of reminded me of? Boys in the Hood. Oh, my goodness, Greg. About <laughs> young guys who... A lot of whom are, like, not really cut out to be gangsters, but they, like, that is either what they want or just what they're adjacent to. And that just, like, that that having to strip off the the uh, childish ways and then become something and force yourself, really. You're the one who does it. Forces yourself to become something that you're not. And just watching that sort of change. We don't get, like, the years in Mean Streets, and I think that's a that is, is a plus. But Boys in the Hood does show us the, them as actual children and them as uh, young adults. And that's what I spent a lot of watching this movie thinking about. Much more time with the children than you remember every time you watch the movie. Honestly, yeah. Cause, yeah, we talked about that, right? Isn't it like an hour into the movie yeah. they're still kids? And you're like, man, can we get to... I would watch Mean Streets Babies, though. <laughs> Somebody should make that movie. Mean Streets Babies. Timothy Chalamet can be in it. <laughs> uh, no, Nate, Thanks. he's contractually obligated to be in it. <laughs> Hollywood has no choice. <laughs> he plays Wonka. It's weird. Uh, Ryan, what do you recommend? I got a little nervous there, Greg, but one year after Boys in the Hood came out, uh, a much lower-budgeted movie by the Hughes twins came out called Menace to Society. Man, yeah. And the reason that this struck me uh, watching Mean Streets is because of the... We were talking about like all of the directors that... Uh, clearly learned from Mean Streets and made sort of like hangout movies about these kids. Uh, mean Streets kids were 27. These kids were like actually like 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like that, uh, these hangout movies about kids that sort of didn't have much of a choice. And about these kids who were like play acting to the point where their fantasies about being gangsters became realities. Mm. And why did that happen? You know, did they play for so long that it became true or did they ever even have a choice in the first place? And Menace to Society is such a dark movie about these kids who uh, just demand respect now and will do anything to get it. And they look up to their elders that have the respect, but like will do no work to get there yeah. and accept flash guns, you know? Menace Society is a lot more violent and there, it's a lot more like, um, I don't know, like uh, we have to um, be tougher and we have to uh, draw quicker lines than Mean Street has because b- the Mean Street guys, like it surprises me every time I watch it, but like they aren't capable and they aren't very tough. But yeah. Menace Society does kick that up a notch and I think Menace Society owes a lot to Mean Street's. I find it so refreshing how bad the gangstering in this movie is. Mm. I just feel like we don't get enough like yeah. bad, ineffectual gangsters. Nate, what is your recommendation? Since since Mean Streets is a movie that is about uh, seeking purpose and belonging and and trying to find your way in New York City as as an Italian, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, four young Italians who are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to sort out life in the mean streets of New York City. Uh, and they are confronting uh, some mutant mayhem. Uh, let's talk about Hell yeah. Ninja Turtles. Hell yeah. We got Leonardo, Hell we yeah. got Donatello, we got Michelangelo and Raphael. 
Um, that movie is is great. Yes, it is a heartfelt uh, non competency movie, similar to Mean Streets. Yes, like let's figure it out as we go along, uh, and it, it just. Just fabulous. And and the Ninja Turtles in general. Hold I on. Think as a property is about <laughs> family. In the class I teach, I teach a class, and uh, we don't have to go into it, but I teach that uh, every role can be defined by one of the Ninja Turtles. Can we do the four main Mean Streets brothers to the four Ninja Turtles? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gosh, that's tough, though, because who was – Johnny Boy is the first one we got to figure out. And what would that be, that, Raphael? I think Raph, right? I would say typically yeah. yes, but it, it feels like yeah. Okay, so let's just say Ra- Raphael. Uh, Charlie has to be Leonardo, right? Uh-huh. Um, I think I think Charlie's a Donatello. I think Leonardo is Michael, but because is Michael is trying to be the leader, trying to be the thing. But the way Leonardo is always trying. Is it Charlie the trying to be the daddy? Yeah, because I feel like Charlie's yeah. what's trying to like bind everybody together. He's a different type of leader, but I do feel yeah, okay. like he okay. is their leader. It. So. Michael is going to either be Michelangelo, which would be easy, which would be super easy, but I could see Tony Michael as a Donatello. Is Donatello. Michael is Donatello, Donatello because he's he's serious and he wants to do things the right way. He does machines. He does machines, right? It's with true. the lenses, with the, the adapters. Yeah. Uh, so I, I definitely think. And then, of course, the, the uncle is, is Splinter. It's Splinter, yeah. yeah. We did it. Great, we did it. We solved the movie. I I have to underline this recommendation um, because that Ninja Turtles movie is amazing and is such a hoot. And they did the exact thing you're talking about, Nate, which is we know the Ninja Turtles are like the best. So how about a movie where it's like they still suck so bad at being the, the Ninja Turtles? And that was so much more compelling like to watch them kind of not be good or like not kind of to be bad at what they do. They're not even ready to, to tackle Shredder yet. They're still dealing with that weird Baxter fly guy. Stockman. People always forget that as an option. It's like, all right, so we're doing a reboot. So in the last iteration, they were so good. So now we have to make them even better. Yeah. But wait, there's another option. Like, how cool would it be to see John Wick when he's a young John Wick? And he's he's John Wick, so he's John Wicking. But also, he's just occasionally really shitting the bed. Like, just absolutely falling down some stairs, but not in a cool way. Like, he'll come on a podcast in his Rushmore, and he'll give the first example, and he won't even <laughs> make the mountain. <laughs> Ryan. Yeah. I'm guessing we're going to come back right after this. Gentlemen, this was a hard-fought match, and it was very close. But, Nate, you won 34, or rather 35 to 34, to my one. Nate, you are the champion of these mean streets. Congratulations, I, I can't Nate. Believe it. I, I cannot believe it. I uh, I rescind Satan and I will start going <laughs> to the Catholic Church. Now can I uh, reveal something real quick? <laughs> yes. I have actually never seen this movie before. Ryan I know. <laughs> Come on. So thirty four points. It's actually, actually pretty good. That's pretty good. Now Ryan, if Mike had been here. Uh huh. You clearly would have beaten Mike, Mopped right? the fucking yeah. floor. Nate gave us a little something that, that Mike just tends not to do. My one point, it's like, okay, th- thanks for showing up. But how about Mean Streets? Now, I felt that it was a little lukewarm at the beginning for some of us. The more we talked about it, the more impressed I was with the movie. Do we think that Mean Streets has what it takes to Nate through this whole thing and just take it all? <laughs> what, so, do you th- what do you think, champion Nate? I, I look, I think at the at the beginning of this episode, I thought that Mean Streets was like mean as in 
average. <laughs> but you know See? what? Now, this, is, this is how we won. This is how we won. <laughs> now I think Mean Streets is like, you know, uh, slang for cool, right? Mean <laughs> is uh, something the kids say, right? No cap, etc. <laughs> Those are some mean shorts, Nate. Exactly. Like Ryan, yeah. what yeah. do you what do you think? Ben, thinking about it against the rest of the 73 field that we've seen and what's coming, does it have a chance? I don't know what's coming, Greg. You don't let us know that. But um, uh, up against everything that we've seen so far, such hits as like Robin Hood and Westworld. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think it's got it. I think this is the best movie we've watched so far, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's the most fully realized of any of the movies that we've seen so far. And a lot of its flaws, what I thought of as flaws, the more I thought about them, the more I thought, well, these were like kind of intentional choices. And so it's hard to like be like, ah, oh, the acting in this is a little rough or, ah, oh, man, this is shot in kind of an odd way. Because it's like, well, he kind of wanted you to see the edges a little bit here and there. And so it, it, it's, it's hard to hold that against it. Yeah. And like, I just, I get put off by, not put off by, but sometimes Kubrickian or Tarkovsky movies can leave you cold or at arm's length and uh, some of they're too technically precise right and you know like how apple design feels like everything is like eve instead of wally you know this is is a wally movie and i like how it's dirty and charming instead of perfect and you know perfectly designed and that's why i think this movie could go all the way i still think this is a four-star movie even though there's so many issues with it yeah yeah, Man. it's naturalist. Like I would say, at least from what I've listened to uh, of the season <laughs> so far, like it, it's close. Like it's like Serpico is similarly yeah. trying to get at something and be not a an entertainment movie, right? Because like Westworld and and Robin Hood are like we can make old movies slightly newer. Like we're gonna uh-huh. do a, a, a new turn on this. This is trying to say, you know, this is saying something. Like, this is absolutely saying something. Serpico is trying to say something to various degrees of effectiveness. And, like, this is doing it in a very naturalistic way that's kind of foreshadowing the naturalism that's going to happen later in the 70s uh, with Dog Day Afternoon and things like that uh, that you've already covered. Like, what if it was Cinema Verite? You know, I was on Nate's old show, One Bright Idea. A vague idea, yeah. One vague idea. A vague idea. And uh, uh, first question was, what does cinema verite mean? And I missed it. <laughs> oh, no. I, will, I will never forget <laughs> that. Medium cool. Have you, have, it was have medium you guys cool. talked about medium cool on this no, show? No, we haven't. You gotta, whatever year that was, you got to bring medium was, cool into the mix. I think it was the 60s. We haven't gone back to the 60s yet. But uh, yeah, uh, movies like Westworld and Robin Hood were like, remember when those old movies were entertaining? What if they weren't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if we made movies for the same budget they had back then? <laughs> But with paying 1973 money. Uh, Nate, your show is um, called, uh, what again, remind me? Debut Buddies. Debut Buddies. So check that out. Thank you for joining us, Nate. We really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I've got a, show. I've got a good feeling about Mean Streets. Still got a lot of movies from the 70s to get through, though. But hey, before we do that, do me a favor, would you, America? Keep watching them movies.